It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Affidavit for a search warrant. Item three. Letter R. Affiant has reviewed a police report prepared on January 25th, 1977 by Southfield Police Officer Lauren Doan, now retired, who was assigned to the Oakland County Child Killer Task Force in 1977 and was thereby informed of the following. Doan was contacted by Flint PD and advised that a subject they had arrested for criminal sexual conduct with a minor may have information about the person who killed Mark Stebbins. Doan went to Flint PD and interviewed one Gregory Green. Green told Doan that he believed a man named Christopher Bush had murdered Mark. Doan included in his report that both Green and Bush were sexually involved with young boys. S. Affiant further states that Detective Lauren Doan's report, Southfield PD Report 763079, dated January 28, 1977, reports that Detective Doan, Detective Cattell, from Ferndale PD and Flint officers Waldron and Rivard interviewed Christopher Bush on January 28, 1977. Bush told detectives that he and Green had discussed and planned how they would kidnap, hold, and molest young boys. Bush stated that he and Green agreed that one would work days and the other nights so that one of them would always be with the kidnapped child. Bush further described three locations where he picked up young boys in the past These locations are as follows. Nine Mile and Woodward area in Ferndale. In Royal Oak near 13 Mile and Woodward. In the area of 12 Mile and Greenfield Road, more specifically Hartfield's Bowling Alley and the 7-Eleven Party Store located directly across the street. Doan reported that he asked Bush what they intended to do with the child after they were through with him. Doan wrote in his report that Bush could not answer. T. That affiant is informed based on his investigation and review of the police reports that the three locations described by Bush are the suspected abduction location for Mark Stebbins, the area where Jill Robinson is believed to have been abducted, and the area where Christine Mihalik was last seen, respectively. V. Affiant has obtained and reviewed a polygraph report prepared by Ralph E. Cabot, who at that time was a Michigan State trooper and a member of the polygraph unit at the Flint Post. Cabot reported that he conducted a polygraph test of Christopher Bush on February 15, 1977. During the pre-test interview, Bush admitted that he was sexually attracted to young males in the 12 to 13-year-old age bracket. He said he has had affairs with young boys. He denied that he had anything to do with the Stebbins kidnapping and murder. Cabot tested Bush and concluded that he was being truthful. Based on these polygraph test results, Bush was not investigated further as a suspect in the Oakland County child murders. You've been listening to You Know They Know. 
J. Reuben Appleman about the Oakland County child killings. I'm the author of The Kill Jar, a chronicle of 10 years investigating Detroit's most notorious serial killer case published by Simon & Schuster. Kill Jar was the springboard for the investigation discovery TV show Children of the Snow, now on Hulu. You Know They Know is brought to you from the KRBX studios in Boise, Idaho. From the time I began researching the Oakland County child killings outside of Detroit to the time my book was finished, 10 years had passed. Those 10 years were a personal mess, and I chronicled that mess in the pages of The Kill Jar. Most readers understand why I did so, to tell the bigger story of how this case affected the millions of people, including myself, living with its grim inheritance. Some readers wanted only more and more of the dirty details of the case of the Oakland County child killings. This part podcast was partially born in response to readers of The Kill Jar and viewers of Children of the Snow asking for more, and it was also greatly born from compelling evidence that indicates this case should have been solved years ago, leading me and others to wonder, was it? Each episode begins with a reading from the actual case files in my possession, the decades of investigative narratives and interrogation transcripts, the evidence trails and autopsy reports and polygraph results, and all manner of supplementary documentation reporting uh, from the hundreds of city, uh, county, state, and FBI investigators who have touched this allegedly unsolved case. T- today you heard from an affidavit for a search warrant. Um, on the show with me today is uh, Catherine Broad, formerly Kath- Kathy King, system, sister of victim number four to the Oakland County child killer. Uh, Timothy King um, was victim number four. Kathy is his uh, sister. Today I'll be talking about the Oakland County child killings in general, and I'll be digging into the case of the abduction and murder of victim number two, Jill Robinson. As a reminder, or for those just tuning in with this episode, from 1976 to 1977, four children outside of Detroit were abducted, held in captivity, and and eventually murdered. Um, At first, the police Oh, for many years, the police claimed that there were no no real suspects, no viable suspects. They they let filter to the community that that they were looking for a lone serial killer of maniacal um, capabilities and skill. Uh, you know, a genius type of person like your Hannibal Lecter type that we know from the movies, who is just so um, fantastically maniacal that he will never be caught. Um, that was after a couple of years of spending millions of dollars and engaging with 300 investigators from the FBI, the state police, county and city of city police forces, and then suddenly pulling up shop and claiming the case will never be solved. Um, this was in the 70s uh, financially uh, the largest case in U.S. history. Uh, largest murder investigation in U.S. history. More money had been spent on this case than any other murder case previously. And when they pulled up shop and shut down what had been established as the one of the largest task forces, forces ever on a murder case, um, when they pulled up shop, um, they, they gave no real explanation. Uh, no more killings occurred. And the case of the Oakland County child killer went unsolved. I'm sorry, I misspoke a moment ago, and I said one of the largest task force task forces, but it was the the largest task force ever in U.S. history on a murder case. Um, 
No other killings occurred. The case has remained cold for over four decades now. Um, But when digging into the files, we discover a lot of suspects, many of whom had direct evidence uh, attaching them to the bodies. And we're going to talk a little bit about that soon. Um, Today we're talking about Jill Robinson, victim number two, with Kathy King. Hey, Kathy. Hi, Jason. Excuse me, I just called you Kathy King, Kathy Broad. That's all right. Yeah, you're still Kathy King, I guess. Um, Yeah. So last uh, episode we talked about Mark Stebbins. Victim number two, Jill Robinson, is abducted on um, December 22nd of 1976 which is actually quite a bit of of time since since Mark's uh abduction on February 15th so we're talking February March April May June July something like 9 or 10 months um what do you know about Jill Robinson's abduction uh 3 days before Christmas Well Jill was abducted uh on December 22nd she left her house, um, and it had to have been dark, uh, but she left her house around dinner time after having an argument with her mother. She packed up a backpack and said she was going to ride her bike. Well, she didn't say, but she started to ride her bike, um, presumably toward her dad's house in Birmingham. And um, when she didn't come back in, to her house and she didn't show up at her dad's house um they called police uh jill was missing um through christmas her body was left on the side of interstate 75 in the early hours of december 26 um she had been shot in the face with a shotgun and um, left on the side of the road. Let's talk about let's talk about um, I seventy five. What what do you know about that um, freeway? Well, it was you know the freeway that I mean it was a big interstate. That's where you would go from Detroit to Flint. It goes all the way down to Florida. You know, on a normal evening, it probably would have been highly trafficked, but it was. Um, you know, it was Christmas night, and her body was left just north of the 16-mile road exit. I can tell you a you're, lot. You're about talking about her, her body was dumped on the, the 26th, so the day after Christmas. Right, but like 2.30 or 3 in the oh, morning. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Christmas, yeah, Christ, so, late, yeah. night, late night of, after Christmas dinner for somebody. Right. So, so set, her body was left on the side of the road north of the 16-mile road exit. And what what is, is unique about that um, dump site? Do you remember anything about that? Well, the dump site was really close to the uh, Troy Police Department, like maybe even within view of the Troy Police Department. 
And do you, do you, I'm going to get, you know, with Jill's case, there's so many interesting things that tie into the, the, the larger body of evidence that we have or larger body of suspects. And so I want to dip in each time when I think of something. So forgive me for cutting you off a bunch, but, but, um, Two thing, two things that I want to talk about. I before we even get further into this, I seventy five, and also the proximity to the to the police station. I seventy five um, goes up to goes up to Flint, and what what do we know about Flint? Well, Flint is where um, Christopher Bush's nephews lived. His brother's kids lived in Flint. And um, that brother let his two sons go on outings all the time with um, with Chris Bush. And I believe that's where Gregory Green uh, grew up or where his dad's house was. So there's a connection between Greg Green and Christopher Bush and Flint. And Greg Green and Christopher Bush are two of the main suspects who continue to show up over the years, um, not only in in the box, as they say, in inter- being interrogated during the active uh, murder investigation before uh, all of the kids had been murdered, um, but over the decades as well, they keep showing up. Um, Christopher Bush uh, was... Um, a primary suspect at the time we we now know how primary he was but at the at the time he was being looked at nobody knew about him outside of the police um except for on unrela- supposedly unrelated uh, sexual conduct criminal sexual conduct charges um Gregory Green was his um uh ride or die as they say um that they, they they were um uh rolling around uh, Michigan together, uh, accomplices in criminal sexual conduct, um, <clears throat> I guess violations or whatever you call it, you know, raping kids. And um, Gregory Green and Christopher Bush were were um, uh, both of them tied to Flint. 75, I-75, you know, it's a co- it could be a coincidence. Could it, 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 it might not be, but it's 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 worth it to say that this was a, a, a road that they would have traveled to get up to to the Flint area from the Detroit area. And um, the proximity of the body, of Jill Robinson's body, um, and we'll talk more about, you know, her captivity and such, but the proximity of her body to the police station um, could be coincidental. It could, uh, at the time, the, the, the press made a lot of it. They said, uh, this is a killer that's taunting um, the police by, by dropping her body in proximity to a police station. Um, but Gregory Green, uh, which we, we will talk extensively about over the over the episodes, um, Gregory Green had previous criminal sexual conduct charges in the state of California before he came to Michigan in in uh, 1976, and um, uh, or 70. Uh, I think he just got to, to Michigan in 76. It could have been late 75. I think it's 76. Um, prior to Mark's uh, abduction and killing. Um, but Gregory Green had, had just been released from California uh, uh, on a basically like uh, a slap on the wrist uh, that he had. I spent, he spent like a year or something in a state hospital, uh, like a psychiatric hospital, in, um, as his punishment for uh, what amounted to something like 50 counts of, of, of criminal sexual conduct. Um, 
he was a- allowed to leave California uh, and he came to Michigan. And shortly after he arrived, um, victim number one and, and victim number two were, were abducted and murdered. But he one of the counts that 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 wound Gregory Green up in jail that that that, that led to him being or led to him being incarcerated in the psychiatric unit um, uh, was related to his abduction uh, of and rape of uh, a young boy who he thought he had killed. Um, he uh, choked this boy and. Um, drove around with him in his car and then dumped him near a hospital or on the grounds of a hospital, not certain he had killed um, the boy. And so, you know, thinking he had, not certain, not knowing what to do, dumps the body at a hospital. Uh, a, a, year and, a year and change later, he's in Michigan and Mark Stebbins is dumped in plain sight somewhere, and then Jill Robinson is dumped in proximity to a police department. And I think that I think we, we need to I need to have just dropped that in because we're going to circle back to Green at some point in the future, and and the the, the 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 dumping of these initial bodies in proximity to citizen uh, uh, other citizens and and civilization um instead of just you know you'd say why would somebody dump a body in plain sight instead of just burying it if they wanted to get rid of the evidence um it uh i th- i think that we can speculate in the future that um after after doing a dozen more of these episodes um that gregory green had um not yet uh s- perfected his um, deviancy or something like that. Like he was still sometimes in panic mode. Um, Now, now part of what we could tie to to the sort of quote panic mode um, scenario is, is um, related to how Jill was found. And you, you mentioned she had been, what did you say about the shotgun or her head or what did you say? She, she had been shot in the face, Jason. And to add to, add to the, the theory about panic mode, um, I'd like to tell you what I learned from um, Detective Jack Kalbflesch, um over a decade ago. And as we discussed last time, he's one of the real cops on this case. But I was provided copies of documents that he was sending to the latest iteration of the task force, trying to, you know, guide them a little and ask some questions about how they were going to approach this cold case. But um, they, um, she, it's, it's clear to me that whoever dumped her body was at first attempting to dump her body just before that 16-mile road exit. Then the person could have gotten or persons could have gotten off of I-75 at the 16-mile exit and headed back to the suburbs, the other suburbs. Um, And here's why I believe this is the case. Um, A witness, according to Jack, reported that he had observed a car parked on the east side of northbound I-75 south of the exit ramp. As the driver got closer, this vehicle, which is pulled over, gets back onto the roadway. 
and then pulls over again on the shoulder of the road just north of that exit. Okay, and the time and location, according to Jack's notes, are consistent with the crime scene. The witness goes on to describe the vehicle, um, which we can talk about if you'd like. But initially, this it's pretty obvious that the persons were trying to dump Jill's body just before the 16-mile exit. Okay, so then a car comes by, the driver panics and pulls out again, but then pulls right back over just on the other side of the interstate. And then, then what? What else? Do, what else does Jack say about the dumping of the body? Um, well, um, I think a very important part of this is this: this driver slash witness stated that the vehicle in question was a seventy-one or seventy-two Pontiac Le Mans, dark in color. The witness further stated he was certain of the make because he had owned that year and model vehicle. The report also states that the vehicle had damage to the left rear and the left tail light was broken. And another interesting um, thing that, you know, was never made public, there was only one set of footprints leading to and from Jill's body, uh, which means the killer was carrying the weapon and the body at the same time. Well, let's back Jack- up. Let's back up for just a second. Um Okay. We'll talk about because you you mentioned the weapon and the body, and we haven't talked about what what was indicated that 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 Jill had been shot after her body had been dumped onto the ground. Um, but let's let's back up and talk about the the, the car. You said there was damage to the to the left um, uh, bumper and headlight. I think you said and, the left rear left rear uh, and yeah. And why is why. Uh, does that be why does that become important? Because that will then be consistent with impressions left in the snowbank from a vehicle that was clearly turning around at the um, site where Christine Mihalik's body was dumped. Okay, so the very so we have a witness of a vehicle uh that 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 we we presume was the vehicle that dumped Jill Robinson a witness describes damage to the to the to the rear uh bumper area and then the very next victim uh uh um Christine Mihalik um at at her dump site uh there was a vehicle impression in a snowbank uh like like a car had backed up into a snowbank, and that impression showed damage in the same area as the damage indicated on the vehicle that dumped Joe Robinson. Yes, and so Jack Kelfleisch says that, and and Jack was was um, a detective at the time. I think um, uh, I don't know his rank at the time necessarily. I, I know that he detective be- sergeant. Detective sergeant. I know, and I know he became a, an active member of the tax task force um, yes. that was involved in in these um, in investigating these murders. And I think Jack was actually um, one of the original people who came to your house or sat with your family over the over the time when when Tim King was abducted. Am I remembering that right? Um, that's Don Stutt. Oh, Don but Stutt. Okay. We met, our family interacted with Jack 
while the task force was pretty fresh. Okay. Well, let's get back to what you what we were talking about with the um, Jill Jill Robinson was found in the snow um, on the side of I seventy five, a busy intersection. Uh, excuse me, a busy interstate going north south through the state of Michigan, and. Um, very, you know, highly traveled in the early morning hours uh, uh, between uh, Christmas night and and uh, the, the 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 next day, the day after Christmas, her body is dumped. So it's middle of the night after Christmas. Her body is dumped. Uh, her body is found. Um, at what time do we know? Something like early. I'm not sure, Jason. I, early morning. Early morning. It's daylight. Um, right. And. And she, uh, a, a big part of her head has she's been shot in the face and head basically with with a, a shotgun. And um, correct, it was a shotgun, right? Yes. And we know that she was on her back when she was found with her backpack on. And we know that she was shot when she was dumped because there are shotgun pellets in the snow um, that were retrieved and are part of the evidence that was evaluated by the state crime lab. So, so if I'm remembering right, this is what Jack told me, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's what he told you as well. His, he speculates, when, when people say, why, why, was, why was she shot? If, if, if these were related murders, um, if, if Mark Stebbins and Jill Robinson were, were related murders, um, and, and, and Mark was a boy and, and he was raped and, and, uh, asphyxiated basically, what, 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 this is so different. Jill, now Jill's a girl and she, and she's alive when she's get, gets dumped and then shot in the face. Well, what, what, uh, I mean, so there are people didn't immediately draw connections between these cases but but what jack speculates and and what makes a lot of sense is that um jill robinson was uh recently be, uh murdered or uh, uh prior to being put in the car of the perpetrator she was brought out uh to the to the freeway for dumping um, as you said, possibly right before the exit or, or whatever, but she was brought out to the freeway and and the killer, one, the lone killer, would have uh, thrown her over his shoulder. She was dressed and she was wearing her backpack, uh, the same backpack she had left home with. And the, she, so it's presumably the killer had redressed her, put on her, put her stuff on just as Mark had been redressed. Um the killer would have carried her over his shoulder um, and walked her out to the snow. And when the killer, when the, and, and, and possibly carried this shotgun uh, at the same time, possibly because uh, another vehicle, uh, an, another driver had, had witnessed some sort of suspicious activity. And so, uh, right. and, and, and the driver of the, the, this killer, uh, the driver of, of Jill's body would have, wanted to protect himself in case this other vehicle circled back or in case of confrontation or whatever, um, throws Jill's body over his sh- one shoulder, carries the shotgun in another hand, dumps Jill onto the ground on her back in the snow onto her backpack. The body weighs down onto the backpack and 
air, an exhalation occurs from Jill's mouth, like a, a sound, a huh, something like this. Jack says that air is often trapped in the body still, especially uh, shortly after, after death. And Jill being flopped onto her back on, and the pressure of the backpack behind her would have caused this exhalation, which would have then caused the, the murderer to have entered into panic mode and shot her in the face, not knowing what the hell was happening, whether she was alive or not. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, it does. And the medical examiner was not able to determine if she had been suffocated due to the damage of her face. And as Jack explained it to me, and it makes perfect sense, if she had been alive when she was dumped, there would have been evidence of her hands moving on the ground. Um, that would have been a consideration, and there was no evidence that she had moved when she was dumped. Interesting. So I think that's right. Um, the, the killer panics, and, you know, especially given that somebody, they had, were panicked enough to pull back on to the interstate and then pull over a short bit later. And, you know, Jack's theory, and this has got to be um, obvious, the killer or killers were carrying a shotgun, you know, in case he was stopped by, in case they were stopped by police. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for, for uh, people to have a shotgun. So I'm not making too much of this, but uh, Christopher Bush uh, had, uh, uh, Christopher Bush, if we circle back to him, one of the primary suspects who later allegedly commits suicide right before all, uh, right, right after all, uh, the last murder and no more murders occur. Um, uh, we'll talk about Christopher Bush some more as we did in, in the first episode and, and, and probably throughout uh, many of these episodes. But uh, one of our primary suspects um, on, on his death scene, who, who we mentioned had a picture of victim number one in his, in his uh, bedroom, um, also had you know, shotgun shells and stuff like that. So he's, he's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's it, not to make a lot of it because Michigan is probably one of the most gun, you know, gun uh, peppered states in the country, but, but our suspects had shotguns, let's just say like that. And so it's not, it's, right. it's, it's not a big, it's not a big stretch, you know, we let's, cause what, what happens is lots of times you'll get online and, 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 or, or people I know, I'm sure they do it to you and they, they do it to me too. They'll, they'll send me messages on, on, um, Facebook or, um, uh, through my website, um, jrubenappleman.com. They can message me and, um, people say, do, does anybody know if such and such had this type of vehicle or does anybody know if, if, um, was Gregory green, uh, an artist, you know, was he able to draw? Did, does anybody know if Christopher Bush had a shotgun? Does anybody know, you know, so these are questions that listeners might have. And yes, our, our primary suspects had shotguns or my primary suspects. I don't know who yours are. I'm not going to speak for you, but my primary suspects had, had shotguns and had sh- shotgun access. And that's, that's not a big deal, but it's just something worth mentioning. And, um, um, were you about to say something? Well, the results from the crime lab, you know, they do a firearms type examination with the, um, the lead pellets. And also um, there was a piece of plastic, which was probably the 
shot cup from the shell, the examiner says that the, the piece of plastic is consistent with being a portion of a 12-gauge federal brand shot cup. Or that, so that's the, that's the bullet. Okay. And that the lead, pellet, lead pellets are consistent with and probably are number two shot. Okay. Um, but again, you know, that doesn't get you a whole lot. And, you know, if they had examined the, the way that the pellets landed on the ground near Jill's face, the spread of pellets may have determined, helped them determine if the weapon was standard in length or sawed off shotgun, but it's not clear that, that any any examination was made of or determination with that type of evidence. So we have a few things of of interest. Um, we'll see that in 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 um, at the victim number three, Christine Mihalik drop site. Um, that um, there was also a, a one set of footprints in the snow. Um, they were dusted, mm-hmm. they were dusted over because of various reasons. Um, not, not least of which was a, a helicopter that had, um, right. circled above. I think it was a news helicopter that had dusted the snow everywhere. Um, but one set of footprints at the third victim dump site, one set of footprints at the, at the dump site of, of, um, victim number two, Jill Robinson. Um, we'll get to Christine number three the next time but but jill robinson one set of footprints um no movement of the body prior in the snow no evidence of movement of the body in the snow uh prior to the shotgun blast to her to her uh head and so and so uh clearly uh you know if you if you are uh alive and and moving if you're conscious i should say and and moving you are going you are going to leave some indicator of that after after uh someone who has just abducted you and held you in captivity for um let's see 27 34 four nights um uh has dumped you in the snow you're going to be moving around to try to get the hell out or at least in fear there's going to be some movement there was no movement jack's theory that she was already dead that she was dumped onto her back, the pressure may, uh, of her of falling onto the snow on top of her backpack, on her back, uh, would have caused an exhalation, and the killer shooting her in the face makes sense. Um, is a is a logical um, theory. Um, Jill was Jill was dead and dumped, and the killer panicked and shot her. And um, what 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 else do we what what do we know? Well, one thing I want I want to say, but I always forget to talk about this, and it's super important in the news throughout the years and on the top, you know in topics and other online forums and such. There's a lot made of 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 the 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 notion that the girls weren't molested or raped, and the and I hate when people say molested. You're raping a child. Let's just call right. it. We'll just call it what it is. Um, criminal sexual conduct doesn't say shit, <laughs> right? Like right. it's ridiculous. Um, uh, let's save that for the people who actually don't rape children, but let's say expose them <laughs> to pornography or something. Let's call that criminal sexual conduct and call rape rape. 
Um, yeah. Uh, but but um, the the, the um, there's a lot said that that the medical examiners didn't find evidence of of rape of the girls or molestation of the girls. Um, as they said it, um, but they did of the boys. Uh, they didn't let that out to the press, but at at first. But we, but we know that the boys were sexually assaulted, and and we do, we most people don't think that the girls were because they follow the tr- the the standard narrative from the medical examiner um, or from the police that they weren't. Well, when Chris Bush was arrested for. Uh, he he was eventually arrested for multiple counts of criminal sexual conduct, um, or was arrested. I'm sorry, prior to to Mark uh, uh, being abducted, as even. Um, but Christopher Bush was was arrested, and, and there were there were girls' panties found in his. I think it was his vehicle, or or it was in his possession possession elsewhere in his house, or something like that. But Christopher Bush. Um, had had two two pairs of young girls' panties. Um, they said is that that's their word in the in the in the reporting um, panties and w- whatever that means. I don't know. Two young girls' pairs of panties uh, sounds like what it is. Uh, yeah. Now now that doesn't mean they were Jill Robinsons or Christine Mihalik's, but um, uh, it, it's it's indicative of 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 Chris Bush being in con contact at least with young girls sexual sexually related contact and then um for i mean the whole time i was working on on the kill jar the whole time i had talked to you for for years the all the documents provided um uh that that your family had obtained through freedom of information act request um all the documents i had obtained on my own all the news reports every everything i had read for 10 years um, was absent any sort of material like statements that would that would directly uh, in, uh, say that these girls were 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 raped however which this was a shock to me certainly while I was working on on uh, the children of the snow for investigation discovery um, uh, we were with we were with the crew. They were filming me on the microfilms. Just they they needed some B roll of me looking through microfilms. But I didn't I didn't like doing all this B roll shit. If I was going to be there, I mean, I was all the way in Detroit where I don't live anymore. If I was going to be there, I was going to actually do some work at the library. I think we were in the, um, I want to say we were in the Birmingham Library, and I'm pretty sure that's where we were. And that's what it looked like. Yeah. Film. Yeah. And and um. And we're scrolling through the microfilms and they're like, oh, can you put your hand over here? <laughs> could you could you look serious and all this shit? And I'm like, will you just let me fucking read and and, uh, and film me reading? Because that's how an actual guy looks at microfilms, you know, um, exactly. uh, but 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 I but at the, I'm scrolling through this. St- well, first we go down in this. This it was really like interesting basement room, just just as you would expect in the movies, you know, um, they didn't they didn't keep this footage but they did film me they filmed every freaking thing um but but i was going into the basement down this weird hallway with you know old school tiling and you know narrow steps and narrow hallway like everything smaller than the, than the requirements today um for code and all that stuff but and then you know down this like uh chink chink 
chink, you know, floor flooring that you can hear everything echoing off the walls and stuff. And there's this back room, just like in the freaking movies, full of all their old files and microfilms and all this stuff. Um, because yeah. because this was too old. And so I, I got, if I'm remembering right, uh, <laughs> this could have been a different library. But um, anyway, I, pull, I pulled, we got some microfilms. Is this correct? Am I remembering this right? You know what I think I just did? I think I just did what they want you to do. I think I actually got the microfilms out of something upstairs. And they filmed me going downstairs so that it would because they had this area and they were going to use that as the entry to find the microfilms. That's what it is. I'm remembering what the setup was um, because they, they even tricked me. But the, the, the point is I got the microfilms and I'm looking through the, the microfilms from 76 and there's this article that I'd never seen before that says it took three different reviews of the, of the medical examination Reviews of the examination, I think it said, to to discern that, uh, lo and behold, um, I think it was Jill Robinson. It may have, it may have been Christine. I'm pretty sure it was Jill. Uh, uh, or let, let's say it was Christine. It doesn't really matter. Um, this is just about an indicator of what happened to the girls. To and I'll and I'll confirm this with my files and go and come back and and talk about it again in another episode. But but um. There was disagreement about whether or not the victim had been raped, that the first person to look at her said it's obvious she was raped. Yes, there are lacerations, there are et cetera, uh, that are appropriate for um, uh, stating that she was sexually assaulted. Then somebody else stepped in and said, no, 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 you're looking at that wrong. It's not, it's not rape. And then... There was debate and they had to take it to a review panel who then who then at the, like the reviewer, the, the top tier examiners, whatever the hell that means, decided, no, she wasn't raped. Well, this is really interesting because when 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 a, when a young girl of 12 years old is raped uh, or, or va- vaginally penetrated, um, uh, there's evidence of it. And and it's not uh, mistakable evidence. Um it, it, it's it's very clear that that's what happened. Um, it's not like um, a, a grown woman with multiple sexual partners or something like that. And they, you know, there's maybe she was maybe she had intercourse, you know, 29 hours ago or maybe she did. You know, it's not there's there's no there's no gray area. Uh, this 12 year old girl was immediately um, thought to have been raped. Then under review, that was changed. And that's not unlike what happened with uh, the polygraph examinations taken by our main suspects. Um, one main suspect in particular, Christopher Bush, was said to have passed a polygraph after um, being asked about the Mark Stebbins murder. And decades later, independent polygraphers look at those polygraph results and conclusively state, no, Christopher Bush failed that polygraph. But the results were changed uh, after the fact. Right. Well, if I can just back up a little, Jason. Sure. Um, I think the panties were found in Green's van, but, you know, that's really neither here nor there. When, when Bush um, is being uh, talked to by a private polygrapher well after the last, well after my brother's murder, he's been picked up on 
some um, CSC, which, as he said, is a rape of a girl. And he is alleged to have told this polygrapher, you know, look, I don't do girls. Um, This wasn't me, but I might run into a little issue with your polygraph, you know, with with, um, a false positive here because of the other shit that I've done. When, when we talk about the, the um, contradictory conclusions about the girls, I'm 99% sure that was Chris. That And let's not forget who the medical examiner is here. It's Dr. Robert Sillery from Oakland County, who was incompetent. And from, you know, many people have told me the guy was just, he was just a drunk. So initially, he did come out in Chris's case and say, yes, she was sexually assaulted. And then I think there was even a press conference where he's like, well, no. And you said, Chris, people are talking about Christine. Or when you say that, you're talking about Christine. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I, you know, you backed up and looked at all of the newspaper accounts. My investigation or my, you know, curiosity and inquiry starts, you know, right around the time the newspaper articles with my brother. And then in those articles, they're summarizing what had happened before with the coverage of of the first three kids. So I don't think, you know, I mean, I guess the point is, whatever the conclusions were in the girls' autopsies, it allowed some fluidity and thought of are all these cases related um and you know not to go off on too large a tangent but if these kids if part of their captivity involved um filming or polaroids or some kind of child pornography a lot of times the girls i'm told are used in these films just to make it, you know, to give it some element of heterosexual sexuality as opposed to, but that a lot of times in these films, it's the boys who are being raped. Um, but in any event, she Jill can't have received good treatment for the four days that she was missing. And other psychologists and people who weighed in on the prototype of who this killer or killer's were was you know they this person got off on the power of holding a child captive so you know we'll never know those you know i think on chris's christine's um autopsy documents it does say in handwritten stuff semen present and then just like in mark and then oh no there was there was no semen present. Yeah, so so I must have been. My memory is not a, is that is that is off a little bit. That it, the article I read must have been about Chris, Christine, and not about oh, and about this discrepancy, but not not about Jill. But I but I will get back to that and confirm that article. Um, I have it um, uh, one half mile from where I speak right now. <laughs> um, uh, um, but let's talk about Sillery for a minute. Um, the medical examiner. What else do you know about him? What specifically from the from the beginning? Like um, you mentioned, 
to me and on the last episode and, and possibly today, um, medical medical fraud with him or maybe that was the last episode but 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 um why was he why was he shit-canned yeah what what happened though what did he actually do he threw he threw autopsy results didn't he i think he threw autopsy reports i think the case that if you google him that comes up he was doing some side investigation uh into some depth i mean this was you know, he was being paid as an expert or something, but um, he, yeah, I mean. But also he was just, he, he, he was a drunk and he was wrong a lot of the time. And I said, so we say drunk, we don't mean, uh, you know, everybody drinks, I'm, right? So I'm talking bringing a bottle of scotch into a an autopsy. Um, and that's, you know, not going to tell you who told me that, but it was someone in law enforcement. And, um yeah, no, that kind of a drunk. Right, where he's drinking during <laughs> during the performance of his work, which which you know back then was probably a little bit more common because they didn't have the fear of as as many liability suits and things like that as we have now. But not right. to for, not to forgive the the guy, but but you, you could see where that could be very possible that 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 this yeah. this the the, the the guy overseeing the the bodies of what what um. The, would become known as the Oakland County child killings um, was uh, uh, an alcoholic uh, known to be on the take and eventually, eventually uh, uh, fired for for these things. Correct. Yeah. It's so frustrating. You go back and you look at all this stuff um, in the in the files and you call people out on it and you look at updated files. We're not talking all, you know, the, when I say the files, we're not talking just files from 1970 and 1980. We're talking, these files include correspondences from uh, your family to the PD and back and forth. It, it includes correspondences um, that relate to the investigative trail. So like if if uh, the, a detective is 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 provided a narrative report, sometimes in those those same files there is also email correspondence. We were talking, you know, two thousand and five or something um, between between the detective and another person related to the 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 recent uh, investigative investigation that they've done and that corresponds to the narrative report that police are required to type up about what they've been doing on the investigation so there might be some emails there might be some narrative reporting there might be some um transcripts of a statement taken by somebody what what i'm getting at is that all the way through this case for decades there are these inconsistencies and these inconsistencies are or these major fuck ups and these major fuck ups are or these blah 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 and these major blah blah are they're all documented and they're 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 never 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 acknowledged by the people in charge of this investigation and so when the family members of the victims uh when 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 you or your father um or your brother, or Christine's uh, uh, stepfather, or um, uh, her, her sister, or whoever, make overtures and say, "Hey, like you know, bring us into the fold here, man." Um, they're just you're just gaslighted. You're just completely gaslighted, even though you know you've I, I, I've seen emails you've sent 
that we've shared confidentially that say like, hey, can you, you know, to the cops, hey, can you tell me about this or can you tell me about that? Can you tell me? About, and you're just fucking gaslighted, even though we're looking at the documents that give us all, all the information. And so. Exactly, Jason. We were told we, to this day, I am still getting gaslighted. And, you know, failure to address the obvious intensifies the suspicion, right? Mm. So, oh, you know, bomber, you know, sillery and all this stuff. Yeah, it's just like nobody will respond to anything. Um, and I still feel, I still feel today that we are being gaslighted and that the public's being gaslighted, Jason. Because, um, you know, they just talk in circles um, and... Yeah, Sillery was a drunk, and, you know, I pulled up this case, the Sillery versus Board of Medicine, 1985. His license to practice medicine had been suspended, um, and on appeal, well, and then it gets reinstated, and on appeal, the Michigan Court of Appeals says, oh, hell no. Um, and, you know, this motherfucker was a um, Oakland County medical examiner at the time, but for the case he loses his license over, he was hired in a private capacity in a, you know, to address a death that related um, to drug, to a drug, a, a legal drug usage. And, um, you know, and then he was totally busted for, he, he did an examination, but he prepared an autopsy report, which indicated that he had done a much more extensive examination than he did. So this guy, you know, I, I think he's now deceased, but that fucker, he, that's part of the reason this case was never solved. He plays a big part in it. So does Ralph Cabot, that, that, um, pro, that polygraph examiner for the state police. There are so many instances in these murders of children where some incompetent drops the ball. It's just you couldn't like if you made a fiction movie out of this you would think it was just complete bs where are what do you know about joe robinson's family after after her murder well you know i know jill was the oldest and she had i think younger sisters two of them and i know I remember from some of the footage, which I've recently seen because of, you know, the publicity, the, fa you know, they waited for, to open their Christmas gifts because Jill wasn't there on the 25th. Um, I know that um, then, okay, Christine goes missing and then my, bro and is found dead. My brother goes missing. Now the task force has been formed and it's under a lot of scrutiny. And Jill's parents, um, Carol and Tom Robinson, um, go to the media and say, you know, what the hell? Like, we understand that you have to move on these more current um, murders, but no one has no one has come and interviewed us about our daughter's murder or what was going on. When when the mother Carol finally goes to Troy PD. And meets with somebody. This cop tells her, you know, he's fumbling, and he tells her, um, you know, gee, I, you know, it's just not much in the file. The file was like totally skinny. 
and you know Troy PD hadn't done much on the case so they kind of they you know there's a newspaper article where they they go to the public or they you know talk to talk to the media about you know what is going on with um, and why aren't you know they, they put up a stink which in hindsight is really admirable what, um, what um, did did Tom? How did how did Tom die? Tom uh, Tom Robinson is still alive. He's still alive. Yeah, and he at the time Jill was abducted and murdered. He was they, Carol and Tom were divorced. Okay. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if Carol is still alive, but Tom I, is still alive. Okay. We well, yeah, I ask because um, not 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 to try to track him down or something like that, but because in so many of these instances, so many of the family members of the victims have sort of, um, you know, buckled under the pressure of this 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 horrible thing that's happened. As as makes sense, you know, these crimes. I say all the time that these crimes don't end with the successful prosecution even if even if even if this case had not been uh cold so to speak um and and uh suspects prosecuted case closed the 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 awfulness of these crimes continues to linger in the in the in the family members of the victims and um in this instance we not only have um the the awful effects of these crimes continuing to linger decades later in the family members of the victims. We have the um, re, re, the absurdity of so much of the evidence uh, that we already know about not being acknowledged by the police and the police continuing to gaslight um, the family members of the victims uh, of these cases um, of these murders and and. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a threefold sort of insult. Um, mm-hmm. We we have the family members of the victims having to survive through the, the the just what what is must be the horrible recollection of of things that happened. We have the case not being solved, allegedly not being solved, even though millions of dollars and hundreds of investigators from the FBI, the state police, the county police. Um, uh, and, and multiple city police uh, police uh, were called in, and 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 um, even though they allegedly, you know, actively pursued these killing uh, the the killers, whatever they could find, the, the insult is that they pulled out, told nobody why, claimed it was related to money, which is a crock of shit, and stopped investigating this case. Um, we know why. I know why. We'll talk about that why. But the third insult is that. Is that um, the family members now, when calling out the cops and calling out the, the previous investigation um, for for reasons that are not contrived, that are that are tr- tr- trackable through through documents, are now gaslighted. Um, w- we know uh, what gaslighting is now because we see it at the highest offices of our country, and we recognize it, and we say, "Oh, this is this is what's happening to me." And, right. And so, and so, so. Well, and the, you know, the police in this instance clearly. I mean, it, okay, the case goes back four decades. These these were not people who were used to being questioned. Um, 
you know, they, they very much controlled the media presentation of the case. Oh, we can't say this or that because that might trigger the killer. Um, but even, you know, going up until 2005 when I first started having real suspicions about this investigation, even then, and, and really until today, you can tell these people, oh, no, you're not going to question what we did. And frankly, we don't have to tell you a goddamn thing. Um, but, you know, they're not, it was clear in how they dealt with us um, before we went public that they thought it would be pretty easy to make us go away. And, um, you know, thank God for Jack Calflush, who had documented his interactions with the, you know, most recent iteration of the task force and how they were gaslighting him. And he was there. He, he was there during the investigation. So when you look at his document, it's like, wow, I cannot believe the state police are so used to doing this that they are completely confident that they're going to get away with this. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.